Hello, everyone. This is Travis J. Vernon, and welcome to today's podcast. Today started out about as crappy as you could imagine. I wake up at 4 o'clock almost every day. Yesterday on my way home, my wife was explaining to me that the kitchen sink was clogged up. I know it's probably because I put too many things down the drain that I'm not supposed to put down the drain. Like You're not supposed to put certain things in the garbage disposal. For example, bacon grease should not be put down the drain. Well, most of the time I'm good about that. Not always, though. You also shouldn't wash off muddy boots in the drain. So I created a bunch of work for myself today. So as soon as my eyes pop open at 4 a.m., I start thinking about all the things I need to do, including this drain. Now, here's a life lesson for everybody. Don't start a plumbing project before the hardware store opens or within an hour of it closing. Probably not a good idea. So in my infinite wisdom, I decided to fill the sink full of boiling water and then turn on the garbage disposal to force the boiling water in the sink down the drain, thinking that this hot water being forced into the clog would not only push it loose, but would then be warm enough to liquefy any grease or fat that was trapped in the drain, solving the problem. So let me tell you what really did happen. As soon as I turned on the garbage disposal, I heard a big pop, and then I heard water everywhere. So now the entire area under the sink is flooding with boiling hot water because the garbage disposal popped off because it was too much pressure. So there I am, 5 a.m., waking up my wife, saying, hey, can you grab a bunch of towels for me? I need some help. So since the hardware store isn't open still, I'm just going to do a podcast. I'll tell you a little bit about Nancy's elk hunt from this last year. Ever since she and I started hunting together, I have tried to explain to her what it's like to hunt elk and how much fun it is during archery season where you can get really, really close to animals. Well, on her very first archery season, she was set up in this little area overlooking a draw and a little two-point mule deer buck was sneaking down the draw towards her. And he knew something was up, but he still wasn't sure what was going on. And she was being really good and sitting really still. And I was about 200 yards uphill from him. So I was just watching the show. So the buck would get a little closer and then look at her. And then get a little closer and look at her. And she's facing the other direction, so she doesn't see this little buck coming. So I think this is going to be kind of fun. I wonder when she's going to figure out that there's a deer sneaking up on her. So a few more minutes goes by. Deer gets closer. Feeds a little bit looks up at her. He can tell that it's something just doesn't look right, but she's being really good, not moving. So there I am watching the deer get closer and closer and closer, and she has no idea. The deer gets to be about two yards, six feet away from her, and she senses something's up, and she slowly turns her head back and around to the right. At the same time, the deer kind of peeks over her shoulder, and their eyes meet, and they both had that oh no moment, and the little bug takes off running, And Nancy looks at me with these great big eyes like, did you just see that? I'm like, yeah, I just saw that. And I think that's the moment that she really understood why I love archery hunting. I love being in camos and being able to be in the wilderness and experience things that most of the people in the world don't get to experience. You're able just to be a part of nature, not just look at nature, but you experience nature. You interact with it and you can't do that any other way. You just have to be out there. Now, when I hunt, it's not just about killing things and I'm not out chasing trophies and I'm not 
you know, all those negative connotations that people throw on it. People do that just because they don't like something. They're going to look at the negative sides of it just to justify why they don't like it. There's parts of it I don't like. I've never been one to enjoy the killing part. But I enjoy the food aspect of it. And I also think that it's important to be a little bit more connected to your food. To understand where it comes from. I know there's people that can't kill an animal. And that's fine. But as you begin to understand where your food comes from, you make better decisions when you're buying things. So I've been a Wyoming resident now for a little over five years. I've been a resident of a lot of states. But Wyoming has always been a near and dear place to me. And it's now become my home. I lived on the border of Wyoming for a very long time. Drove through it very often. And it's just one of those magical places. It really is. So as a resident of Wyoming, you're able to get a general season deer tag and a general season elk tag every year. But you're limited on the areas you can hunt. You can only be in general units. Then there are also limited entry units. And those, depending on whether you're a resident or non-resident, are very difficult to draw. For every year that you don't draw a tag as a non-resident in a limited entry unit, you get an additional bonus point. And those accrue. So you can get one bonus point per year. On the really difficult limited entry units, it may take you 14, 15, 16 years to draw that tag. The general season areas, you can typically hunt with one or two years worth of bonus points. So it's a real blessing to be a Wyoming resident and be able to hunt elk every single year. Well, on the very first year that I was a resident, I had drawn a limited entry cow tag, which are easier to get than limited entry bull tags. And I had my general season elk tag. And the unit that I was hunting was a pretty difficult unit. And maybe I'll tell that story sometime. But I left early in the morning one day got into a bunch of elk right outside of my parking area. I hadn't even hiked in half mile. And there were elk bugling, chasing cows. And I was able to harvest a cow first thing in the morning. I know some people, like I said, are messed up with the word harvest. It's just habit for me to say that. So I killed the cow, started the butchering process. Growing up, when we'd butcher animals, we typically just gut them out and drag them back to wherever the closest road was, drive the truck, load them up, and out we go. So as a kid, when I first harvested my very first animal, I was 14 years old, and this is my first big game animal, and my dad and I drug it about a mile downhill to the road, and it was tough. It was not an easy thing to do, and I know my dad wasn't really happy, but he did it because it was my very first deer. When I killed my very first elk, I was about, I want to say, I was either 16 or 17. Just a small raghorn 3x3 bull elk. And he was only 300 yards from a road. And there were three friends with me, and we just drug it down and threw it in the truck. That in itself is a great story. So that one will come up at some point. Man, we got in trouble after that. It was a game day, and Coach Harrison told us to not hunt. Because he wanted us all ready for the game. Whew. Yeah, that'll be a fun one. But again, it took four teenage boys, pretty much all we had, 
to drag that elk down and load it up into the truck. So this is the first elk I'd harvested in a long time. The closest I could get my truck to it was about a half a mile. But my truck was a half a mile above me. Now at this point in my life, I'd already learned how to use what's called the gutless method. And a lot of people get uptight about the gutless method because they think that you don't take out the tenderloins. But you do. If you didn't take out the tenderloins in the state of Wyoming, it would be against the law. There's a lot of rules about wanton waste. And as a guide, I can't afford to break the law because I would lose my permits. So I butcher this cow elk up, get it up to my truck, drive back home. And at this point, it's three or four in the afternoon. And my wife was pretty surprised that I was home already. She's like, you actually shot one? I'm like, well, yeah. With a bow? Well, yeah. And I was kind of frustrated because I'd missed a big five-point bowl. I wasn't able to close the deal. I didn't actually miss him in the sense that I shot at him and missed. I missed him in the sense that I couldn't get him to come in. He had a big group of cows. I was right in the middle of them. And I just wasn't able to get him to commit. He wouldn't come in to where he would give me a shot. He knew something was up. He gathered up his cows and took them off over the hill. I was able to sneak in on him again. And that's when I was able to harvest one of his cows that was bedded way outside of where she should have been. So over the next couple of years, I harvested multiple elk. And Nancy started shooting her bow because she enjoys hunting with me and she thought it would be fun. Well, she was getting better and better at bow shooting and then was diagnosed with breast cancer. So that made that next year and a half really tough for her as far as drawing a bow. She just didn't have the strength to do it. And then following a double mastectomy, she didn't have the physical strength to draw her bow almost at all. So we were able to talk to the good people at 10-point crossbows, and they were able to get her a crossbow that she could shoot, and she began practicing with that. It took a couple of years after that before Nancy was able to harvest her first elk. The first true opportunity she had, I will admit I screwed up for her. It was following her chemo. She didn't have a lot of strength, so I packed in a ladder tree stand into a wallow that I knew that the elk were visiting. And again, you got to get off of roads if you want to find elk. Now, that's not always the case. There's people that drive roads and kill elk and road hunt and kill elk. But if you want to have the experience that is the quintessential elk hunt, you need to be hunting elk in full camos during the rut when the bulls are bugling, rounding up cows, fighting with each other. It's just, I can try and explain it, but you won't be able to understand it until you've done it. And I continued to try and explain this to Nancy. She kind of understood, but not really. So on this first day, we had the tree stand that I'd set up for Nancy. And then I hung another stand next to the ladder stand so I could help her. When we got down there on that opening morning, helped her up into the stand, got her crossbow set up. So Nancy's on one side of the tree, facing north. I'm 90 degrees facing east, side by side. Now, east is where the bedding area is. And these elk would bed in these thick, dark pines. 
and then they would move from these bedding areas down through and feed across through a bunch of aspens, usually hit one or two of the wallows, and there were about 17 in this area. It wasn't just a slam dunk to sit on a wallow. And as it became light enough to see, I had that guide intuition where I thought Nancy and I were in the wrong seats. Because prior to this hunt, she had made me promise that I wouldn't shoot until she had an elk. That was a terrible, terrible thing for me to promise. I know better than to make those types of promises, but I did it. So I whispered to Nancy, hey, we really should switch spots. You should be sitting here. You're going to have a better view if they come from the pines. And in that moment, she wasn't feeling really good. Still kind of residual cancer stuff. And she said, no, I'm fine right here. This is fine. And in that moment, I was a husband and not a guide. And I was like, that's fine. We'll just stay where we are. That ended up being the absolute kiss of death. 15 or so minutes goes by, and all of a sudden the elk come crashing out of the pines. Unbeknownst to us, there was another guy who had seen the elk going into those pine trees and had walked in there at first light and spooked the elk as they were moving back to their bedding area. Well, I'd had some trail cameras up in this area, and there was one 6 by 6 bull who was just an absolute beast. All six tines, super long. His G3s were really, really long. Giant swords. And that bull is coming straight at me. He gets below the stand, turns broadside, looking back towards the pines. The rest of the elk had gone down the hill and away from us. This bull standing broadside in front of me at 20 yards. Just a slam dunk of a shot. And I don't even draw my bow because I'd made this promise. So mistake number one, made the promise. Mistake number two, I didn't make Nancy switch seats with me. Then here comes mistake number three. That elk, still nervous, starts to walk around our stand to the north. He's going to cross into an opening 30 yards in front of Nancy. It's a pretty big opening. It's about a 12-yard section where she has this giant shooting lane. I decide I'm going to cow call and stop this elk when he's broadside to Nancy in that big opening. Just as he starts to step into the opening, I cow call, and he stops cold. Never takes that last step. From Nancy's angle, she couldn't get a shot. There was too much brush and trees still in the way. He hadn't actually gone into the opening yet. Now, like I said, that opening was 12 yards wide. I could have waited till he was in the middle and cow called, but I was excited. The bull's now looking straight at us. Nancy can't get a shot. He wheels and runs due north through the trees. And that was it. Done. Public land can be tough sometimes. We hunted a bunch more that year, but Nancy was never able to fill her tag. But that was the closest she'd come. So she had the excitement there. Maybe one of the better things that came of that is she realized after the fact that, said, well, I should have switched seats with you. And I should have never made you promise to not shoot that out because you could have killed him, no problem. So we learned that making that type of a promise wasn't a good idea. There's so few opportunities for a great shot on an elk that when you have that opportunity, if it's a bull you want to harvest, you shouldn't pass. And we also learned that in those moments where you get that little bit of intuition that you're in the wrong spot or you need to do something, sometimes you should just listen and do it. 
So it was a really exciting day for her. She'd had a really big bull in range, just couldn't get the shot. And that does something to you. It changes your perspective. Elk are an amazingly big animal. So the following year, I made an even bigger mistake. When we were putting in for tags, we had decided to put in for a limited entry unit out by the Flaming Gorge, the border of Wyoming and Utah and Colorado, the three corners. And there are some magnificent bulls and huge herds of elk in those areas. Well, I didn't read through the unit very well, and I didn't put Nancy and I in as a group. So when you put it as a group, if you draw the tag, you either both draw the tag or neither of you draw the tag. So I didn't click the group, and there was a unit out there that was an archery-only unit, and I put that in as our second choice. Well, it was a new addition, and I didn't finish reading the line that was archery-only, but it was also archery-only cow elk. So I drew my first choice and drew a limited-entry fantastic unit that I later harvested a really nice 6x6 bull in. And Nancy's unit bordered my unit, and she had drawn the second choice, the archery-only cow tag. Now, because she had drawn the limited entry tag, she couldn't get a general season tag. The general season tag allows you to shoot a bull. So Nancy couldn't even shoot a bull this year if she wanted to because she didn't draw any of those tags, which was my fault, which she rubbed in continually the entire year she had a couple close calls that year but still wasn't able to harvest her cow but she did have a couple of experiences where there were a lot of elk really close and she could hear the bulls bugling and herding up cows and doing what they do during the rut the following year we didn't draw limited entry tags so we both went back to our normal spot our public land general unit and on the opening day i had two other tree stands that i'd set up in different locations than from the, where the wallow was from two years ago where we'd missed that great big six by. So Nancy gets in her stand. I'm about a half mile away in my stand. We decide to separate just to give ourselves a little bit better chances. Sun comes up. Neither of us see any elk. It's getting to be about 10 o'clock. It was really warm on September 1st, so we knew the elk had already. If they weren't already in bed, they were going to bed. So we decided to hike back down to that wallow from two years ago. And we'd eat a sandwich, take a nap, and then hang out around the wallow just to see if any bulls would come into the wallow during the heat of the day to cool off. On our way down to the wallow, walking down the trail, we see three small bulls moving perpendicular to us. It looks like they're heading straight to the wallow but we're still about 150 yards away from it. Nancy and I both drop down. We get into some cover. And before those elk get to the wallow, they turn 90 degrees and start walking up the hill to go to the bedding area near where our tree stands were that we just left. But they were paralleling the trail we were on by about 30 yards. And I think, oh my word, this is going to happen. They're going to walk right past us. They have no idea we're here. So I hurry and throw a cow call in. Nancy gets her crossbow ready, gets a bolt loaded in. The first bull crosses 30 yards in front of us. He's the smallest of the three. I whisper to Nancy, the second bull's the biggest bull. 
Just as he crosses into the opening, I cow call, and all you hear are raspberries. In my excitement, I had thrown my cow call in my mouth backwards. And Nancy being Nancy starts to giggle. I hurry and flip it around. Cow call. All three bulls stop. She makes a great shot. Bull trops up 20, 30 yards. Stops. Staggers a moment. Tips over. Stone cold dead. I look at Nancy. She's shaking like a leaf. Tears streaming down her face. She looks at me and says, I did it. I did it. I finally did it. We walk up to her bull. And she just kneels down and puts her hand on it. Giving thanks. Snap a couple pictures. And then I looked at her. I said, are you ready? 80 degrees. Bull died right in the middle of the sunlight. We need to get him butchered. Get him up the mountain. When you first walk up on a bull elk... It's one of the most majestic animals you'll ever see. And the excitement of getting that kill is outstanding. And then the very next emotion you have is, oh my word, it's so big. How are we going to get this back to the truck? And it's just one of those things where you just dig in, embrace the suck, and make it work. So we went as fast as we could, quartering that bull. As soon as we get one of the quarters into a bag, into a big game bag, we get it into the shade, hang it in the tree so that the wind blow around it and cool that meat off. That's one of the biggest things you have to do with any wild game is get the meat cold as fast as possible. And then we had to pack up another half mile, pack out to the truck, This half mile, even though we had a trail, was very steep. So we load up, head on out. We get maybe 200 yards away from the the elk. And Nancy starts to lose it. I can't do this. This is too heavy. My pack's killing me. And I look at her. I'm like, honey, just lean up against this tree. Calm down. Let's adjust your pack. I said, if you can't do it, you can't do it. But if you can't help me, I've got to make six trips instead of three. She calms down a little bit, which probably had a lot to do with all that adrenaline leaving her system after all the hard work we'd done. And she kind of smiles at me. She says, no, this feels better. The pack feels better. I can breathe. Let's just go. And we hike back to the truck. And we unload that first load. And she looks at me. She's like, I did it. I go, you did. It feels good, doesn't it? like it does so in the truck we have a couple of coolers with one liter frozen water bottles so we pull all those out put the meat in put some iced water bottles on top of it to get it cooling down unload all the superfluous gear that we don't need and we just head back down to the elk with the pack frames pack out the second load hike back down pack out the third load on that third load when we get back to the truck nancy looked at me and said, how in the world do you do this by yourself? And I smiled. And I just smiled and said, it just takes more loads. I just have to make more trips. One of the things I like to keep in the cooler is imported Mexican Coke in a glass bottle on the hope that you do have to pack out an animal. And it's the reward for when you finish the pack out. 
So once we had Nancy's first elk out, we popped a couple of ice-cold Mexican Cokes, sat on the tailgate, and enjoyed the moment. Then we headed home and went to work butchering. Started breaking down the elk, getting it into pieces that we could get into refrigeration to continue to cool it down and let it age. And while we were doing it, Nancy looked over at me and said, this is really satisfying, knowing that I provided this animal for our family, that all this meat was a product of all of our hard work. It's really, really satisfying. That was great to hear. I was really happy that she'd come full circle, that she'd seen that whole perspective. But I was also a little bummed that she hadn't experienced what elk hunting is in its truest sense. When a bull elk is bugling and coming in and raking trees and chasing cows and you get to hear the the screams and the cow calls and the whole chaos that is going on around you and then get the shot at the bull. Her bull was a nice bull, 5 by 5 raghorn, not a giant, but not small. So learning all the lessons I have learned, the following year we put in, as a group, for a limited entry, and we drew one of the most coveted Wyoming tags there is. We drew Elk Unit 124 in Wyoming, near the Three Corners. Well, we're going to go ahead and end this episode right there. In the next episode... We'll talk about Nancy's most recent hunt. So stay tuned for that one. It was a lot of fun. And get out there and live your stories.